Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Hello, quality people, healthcare leaders, and everyone in between. Thank you so much for tuning in with episode number nine of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And in today's episode, we're talking with hand hygiene expert and a well-respected quality person, Dr. Berkeley Baker. Let's open up today's show with a few cool updates. First, I'm always happy to share that we've picked up five additional five-star ratings this week, but no written reviews, so unfortunately I can't shout out anyone today. That said, for all of my quality people connected with me through LinkedIn, I invite you all to partake in this week's reshare challenge. This one is very simple. As I use LinkedIn for advertising our show, if you simply reshare any of our show-related posts within your feeds this week, I will give you a personal shout-out on next week's show. How does that sound? And if you're listening and we're not connected on LinkedIn already, please look me up. I'm Jarvis Gray, but my handle is Quality Coach Co. Also, while there are still some small tweaks that I'm making, I've actually updated my website and you can now find the show officially posted on the site. Additional show notes and blogs and more will follow soon, but the new web address is www.the-qcc.com. That's T-H-E-QCC.com. All right, quality people, let's add value to your day. I'm excited to bring you another great healthcare leader that is passionate about achieving high-quality healthcare outcomes. Dr. Berkeley Baker is the VP of Business Development and Sales for Clean Hands, Safe Hands. Now, Clean Hands, Safe Hands is an innovative team focused on eliminating the spread of hospital-acquired infections through the focus of improved hand hygiene compliance. Here, Dr. Baker leads the company's focus around business strategy and sales, reporting and analytics, and overall customer relations and sales activities. In this episode, Dr. Baker shares insights around problem solving with clients to drive improved value to patients, um, the value of after action reviews following any kind of care events, um, the use of situational leadership and process improvement, and so, so, so many more topics that we touch on today. Everybody, please enjoy episode number nine, and thank you so much for tuning in. All right, Berkeley, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am. Perfect. Well, we love to start the show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So could you please share with our folks a favorite quote or mindset, but also share how do you apply that on a daily basis? Yeah, I would I would say a favorite quote for me goes back to uh, you know when I was a cadet at West Point. I used to always have a uh, you know our regimental colonel, uh, colonel lieutenant colonel Easter used to always say, "In the absence of orders, attack." 
And so, uh, so for me, that's something that I just, you know, that it's always stuck with me, right? I mean, it's just this opportunity to lean forward um, and to uh, be proactive um, and to look for areas in which you can impact change. So, uh, so I would say that that would be one that just stuck with me. Awesome. I love it. Berkeley, share with us. I'm really looking forward to learning more from our early engagements, but what was your introduction into quality and how did you really get into the career path that you're into now? Yeah. So I would say that the personal side of it is, uh, I mean, once again, just, you know, from going to a military college, there was always something about paying attention to detail and, uh, and meeting specific standards, um, you know, going all the way back to learning how to, to, to make a bed to a point where, you know, a quarter is, is bouncing six, six inches off every time. Um, you know, I actually, my major when I was in college was system engineering. Uh, so I think as an Army officer, just that focus from a detail perspective, um, just understanding that and what we were doing day in and day out, that it impacted, it impacted lives. Uh, and so there certainly was a uh, was a was an urgency or a severity to it. Um, and then you know I was in the army for about five and a half years, and then transitioned to actually Johnson and Johnson. And so it really took a lot of those things that I learned and applied from more of a military perspective, and it actually shifted it into the healthcare setting. So I would say for me, it really started you know going back to college, and then shifted to being in a uh, you know being in the OR setting. Um, and working largely in, in medical device companies. Okay, perfect. And, you know, with this lifestyle that we live in quality and process improvement, you know, we have our good days, but unfortunately we have our bad days too. So what I'd love for you to do now is maybe take us on a journey to that point that you would call one of your worst days as a healthcare quality leader, but, um, you know, really take us through it. What was the scenario and definitely what were some of the thought processes and decisions you were considering to try to turn that situation around? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that for me, um, you know, I just, I just remember, you know, early on making that transition and, you know, having the opportunity to work with lots of different physicians and using lots of different tools for many different procedures um, and, and I remember getting a call from a physician, you know, it was about a, a 1130 in the evening. Um, and, you know, he was actually in a case. I mean, he was a trauma surgeon. He was a general surgeon and he, he was performing trauma, a trauma case. And actually, uh, he had a device um, that was not operating as it was supposed to actually in the middle of a case. And for me, that was just, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, you know, what we want to do is we wanted to improve really, you know, a surgeon's ability to, to drive clinical benefits to patients. And so the fact that, you know, just kind of that urgency, that moment in the middle of the night and just kind of orienting myself to, okay, you know, what device, what procedure, okay, where is it? It's clamped down on the colon. I can't release it. And just trying to bring myself to that moment to, one, um, address the issue for the surgeon, but two, also trying to think through ways that, you know, um, think through ways that we could just, you know, drive better benefits to patients without physicians finding themselves in moments like these where they're having a, uh, they're having a result that they, that they weren't intending to have. Uh, and so that one is always, it's always stuck with me. Um, I mean, one, just the steps, you know, I mean, you know, the steps to, you know, that I had to identify to actually kind of work our way out of that immediate situation. 
Uh, but more importantly, looking at, okay, so what are some of the things that, that I could do from a process perspective uh, to ensure that the physicians that I was working with, you know, wouldn't find themselves in situations like that in the, in the future. Um, so that's just one that's always kind of, uh, you know, that's always stuck with me. Well, and, and I guess teach me what happens in those kind of situations as well. So, you know, your background with device and kind of the consumer side of healthcare, but still the, that direct impact on quality and quality of care. It sounds like you had great situational awareness in the moment, <laughs> totally being caught off guard. But how do you follow up on something like that? Did your team do anything around uh, root cause analyses or debriefs with that physician and that, that surgical team right there in the moment? How do you transition from that one-time event to making sure that we can mitigate these moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things for me that you know, when I was first making that transition from, you know, the military to a civilian, you know, a civilian role, I think sometimes in, in, in moments like that, you have to be cautious not to, to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, I definitely was trying to embrace this transition, but there were a lot of things that just from a military perspective that we do uh, to make sure that we can ensure quality. And so to your point, I mean, as you're discussing there, I mean, we would always have what was an after action. I mean, there was always that addition of that feedback loop after an event. I mean, it mattered not. I mean, you could have a major deployment, um, you know, where you're going, you know, outside of the U.S., um, you know, for, for, for different, different roles or, or different projects or different goals. Um, or it could be that you're having a company barbecue. And at the end of that company barbecue, you're going to have an after action. We're going to sit back and there's going to be that <laughs> feedback loop. And we're going to talk about, hey, here are the things that went really well. Here are the things that, you know, um, could have gone better. And here are some of the steps that we're going to do to actually improve this in the future. And so, you know, taking, you know, bringing that to healthcare, I think that what I started to look at is things that worked well from a military perspective. How could I take that in an appropriate way and apply it? Um, really to what I was doing from a civilian perspective. And so in that particular case, that's exactly what we did, is that we responded, you know, certainly to the event in the moment, but then the very next day, you know, we sat down and we followed up with a physician. You know, we actually, you know, got the instrument. We sent that instrument back to our engineers. Um, we sat down with the, with the physician and their team to understand exactly, you know, what they had done up to that point, you know, to actually, you know, maybe that, that influenced um, you know, the outcome of the device. Uh, and then we sat down and talked about different ways that in the future, if they were ever in that situation, here's some things that you could uh, do to, uh, you know, to, to alleviate any concern. Um, and so I would say absolutely we took the time to uh, make sure that we, you know, we followed up and, and we had that feedback loop in there, um, not just for the physician, but for our team as well and for all parties involved. Yeah, and, and let me ask this too, um, just maybe the, the last little stemming thought as you shared those additional details. How does going through moments like this, how does that make you a better healthcare professional, if not even just a, a better quality improvement and, and quality professional? These bad moments, what do you take from a, a moment like this or any other moment to, to make you the better professional? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it goes back to one of the things that I remember, you know, General Schwarzkopf sharing with my senior class, and, and he shared that you can learn as much, you can learn more in many cases from bad leadership as you do from good leadership. Um, I think that that's also true when you look at these moments. 
is that when we have those challenging moments, there's a lot that we can learn from each one of those moments. And so I think that one of the things that, you know, that I've learned to do is sometimes we want to get away from that moment so quickly. In some cases, we can make the mistake of avoiding, um, you know, the, the challenge or avoiding those concerns. But, you know, if, if we avoid it, then we can find ourselves in situations where we actually repeat it. And so um, I think for me, what I, I learned there as a professional is, is to uh, is take the time to absorb the moment and learn as much as you possibly can from it uh, so that not only do we, you know, create or hopefully, you know, we, we, we form a process where we don't repeat it, but where we can actually even go beyond what we were performing from a quality perspective and take it to a higher level. Uh, we can actually design in excellence so that we're we're not repeating the process, but we're driving better results. Perfect. Could not have said that better, my friend. So let me get you to a happy place now. Sorry to dig so deep into, <laughs> into some of those moments. <laughs> Berkeley, share with our, our quality people maybe one tip or one tool or one tactic that you found works really well with building those intimate connections with project teams or customers that you're leading through some of your projects. What is that tip and how do you apply it? Yeah, I think for me, I start really with, um, I start with, with, with really kind of focusing in on human skills as opposed to technical skills. I think a lot of times with the projects, we begin with the technical but sometimes we can forget that, you know, as, as you mentioned, I mean, we're working with teams, so that human dynamic really comes into play. And so I like to use, uh, you, know, you know, a quick kind of leadership development tool that has always been valuable for me is, is for instance, like situational leadership, you know, where we focus on the task and we clarify what that task is. And then we assess our, our readiness as a team to actually perform that task. And then we match that with an appropriate leadership style uh, for us to be able to perform that task successfully. And so I think that in doing that, a lot of times it, it takes the focus um, off of any one individual or person, and it puts it on the performance as a team. And so by doing that, if we find ourselves in some ways unprepared, um, you know, it, it, it's easier to do that when we're focusing on our performance as a group as opposed to looking and saying any one individual may be unprepared in, in one aspect or another. Uh, it shows us our shortcomings. It allows us to then, you know, formulate a plan, you know, to match that with an appropriate leadership style so that we can develop in those human factors even before we jump into the project. Now that That's great advice. I know I'm guilty of it, and I know I've seen it in so many different forms where us quality folks, us very technical-minded folks, we love to jump into the technical piece first. And I love your points about the human piece really being the part that could draw people in a lot, lot quicker. So awesome advice. Give us maybe now an example of one of your best aha moments that you've had as a quality professional. But, you know, again, take us through the scenario. We really want to, to get into the mindset that, you know, helped generate that idea. But what also, uh, what were some of your decision processes that may have allowed you to turn it into a personal or a professional success? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's, you know, I spent quite a bit of time actually in the robotic surgery space. So after working uh, with, with one organization where we were helping surgeons to, you know, make a transition from open or traditional surgical approaches to minimally invasive surgical approaches, then, you know, after I, you know, went back to school at Emory 
and came out and then focused with another organization in helping physicians uh, to implement robotic surgery programs successfully. And uh, a couple of things that I learned in that transition, I mean, I think that there were times where, um, you know, there were views of robotic surgery to some degree where it was a lost leader. I mean, this is something that we had to do. Um, you know, in some cases, we had folks that questioned the, the clinical benefits of that, of that um, you know, of that surgical technique. And in many cases, they just said, hey, financially, you know, this isn't going to be a fit. Um, but we had to do it anyway because, you know, patients are asking for it. Uh, on the other side, we had, you know, folks where it was almost as though, um, you know, to, to the person that has a hammer, everything's a nail. And so there was a focus that, hey, we can use robotic surgery for everything. And, and in some cases, it, it really didn't deliver the clinical benefits, um, you know, that were beyond what was already being performed. And in some cases, it certainly was, uh, you know, a, a financial burden. Operationally, it may slow down procedures. And so you had actually these, these you know, these two kind of competing camps, really, with this view of robotics. And, you know, what really came down to me is that the importance, really, of measurement. I mean, we had these two audiences and these two different, you know, schools of thought, but no one was really measuring the effectiveness. You know, there was really, dis you know, discussion on a clinically what's going on here. Financially, you know, what's the impact? Operationally, short and long term, what, what's, what's transpiring? And so I think for me, it actually, you know, opened up an opportunity where um, I actually in, in, in 2000, I believe it was actually in 2010, late you know, 2011, started working with hospitals to optimize their robotic surgery program, but beginning with measurement. And so by doing that, we could see that in some cases, it's a great fit. In other cases, it's not. But when measurement's not in place, it's really hard to truthfully have that argument. And I think that that's just something that's opened my eyes, really. I mean, we're talking about it as it relates to robotics, but I think in lots of different areas, that we come to places and we're having discussions around what's working and what's not working in healthcare. But when you really try to boil that down to, hey, how are we measuring that? Oftentimes we can find that some of that measurement is, is inadequate if it's being done at all. And so I, I think that that would be, that was a major takeaway for me is just really the importance of measurement. I love that aha moment. And for some reason, I have those two dimming quotes in my head. I believe it's a dimming quote. It, yeah, yeah. You can't manage what you don't measure. And then, in God we trust, all others bring data. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Yeah, so, no, those are, uh, those are great aha moments. I love it. Next question that I have for you, what are some current changes taking place across the healthcare industry right now that you're excited about, and what role do you see quality professionals playing to promote it? Yeah, yeah. I was at a healthcare, um, a, a healthcare executive conference in early December, and it was very interesting because the platform speakers, there was one speaker that was, uh, I can't remember which hospital system that she was actually an administrator for, and then there was also a speaker that was uh, one of the, uh, I think, a, the vice president for um, maybe the Americas for Marriott. And there was this discussion. I mean, they pulled Marriott in because they wanted to take ideas from other areas and, and talk about potential application to healthcare. And I remember this hospital executive shared when they asked, hey, what's going on from an innovative perspective right now in, in healthcare? And she said, basically, we are looking at taking technologies that are being successfully, successfully applied in other industries and applying them here. 
And, and, and to me, that was so poignant because a lot of times what you'll find is that things that are being successfully used in other industries, a lot of times are not necessary. Healthcare tends to run a little bit behind and understandably so because there's a patient on the table. There's, there's, there's mothers and, and wives and husbands that we're caring for. And so we expect us to be a little bit more judicious in our processes. But to that point, I mean, you know, we, we still use beepers. We're still using fax machines. So, so you can see a bit of that lag there. And so I, I do think that, you know, like my initial discussion is oftentimes when we would talk about robotics, it was from this perspective that robotics was being successfully used in so many other industries. And you didn't really find an industry where they were using robotics and then they said, okay, hey, let's stop. We want to go back to some manual application of that. And so we see that that has expanded its use throughout healthcare. I mean, I think another thing that we see that's like that is really the application of sensor technology. Um, so that ability to be able to catch that, you know, to catch different moments using sensors. And now because we have effective, consistent measurement in place, that now we can take that data and we can apply that to a whole host of different clinical, operational, and financial benefits. Um, I think that we're starting to see that with some of the, uh, some of the, you know, to, the person-to-person platforms. So whether that is actually having communication systems that allow patients to now participate in their own healthcare by the data that they're logging that now their provider can see, as opposed to just getting information once a month or once every six months whenever that patient comes in, but using these patient-to-patient or, 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 or um, patient to provider platforms that allow us to have data in more of a real time or a shorter interval fashion to improve that final, you know, that, that final product from a clinician perspective. So I do think overall, many of, the, many of the things that I'm describing are things that are being used outside of healthcare that now we're applying within the healthcare environment. But I think where it can really, what we can do as really, you know, quality professionals is that all of those things tend to come down to some level of measurement. You know, it's really kind of capturing that data through effective measurement. So now we can use that and we can explore it to identify different trends, to see um, once we put in an intervention, did it actually drive an improvement? I mean, I think that's where, as quality professionals, we can really integrate ourselves into some of these interventions to drive, uh, to drive additional value for the patients and for the, for the hospitals. No, I love it. And let me ask this, what role, so you, you touched on so many great, I think, future applications that are, you know, we're, we're just at the forefront, you know, the scanning technology, the use of data and measurement, but where does the big data mindset, because you hear it all over everything nowadays, where does that fit into maybe some of your vision for the future of healthcare? And then where do things like the Internet of Things, quote-unquote, where does the Internet of Things also play a role in that? Because I I can see those two concepts maybe touching on a lot of what you just shared and and some of your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that those two are are very closely tied together. Um, For instance, I mean, I've had the pleasure of working with, uh, you know, Clean Hands, Safe Hands, which is a company that basically uses sensor technology to help hospitals really reduce infections. And one of the ways that they do that is actually by, you know, improving uh, hospitals, you know, hand hygiene programs. But more importantly, what it's really allowing 
them to do is that you're you're capturing really this clinical moment. So if you can consider that every time a clinician goes to care for a patient, they wash their hands. And whenever they leave, they wash their hands. And so now you capture that moment. And so you can take that moment, and certainly we can use that to apply different interventions to, a, to improve hand hygiene and also to see now that we have effective measurement in place, you know, how is that intervention uh, really improving hand hygiene and reducing infections over time. But the other thing is that just consider all of the other things that we can do with that moment. So now you can, if I look at it from a staffing perspective, I can see that I have some clinicians that have to go in and out of rooms four times, five times more than other clinicians. Well, that's going to impact workflow. That's going to impact patient uh, uh, provider satisfaction. Um, if I, it's going to impact staffing. Uh, if I have an event, let's say I have a fall or let's say I have a TB outbreak. Currently, what we do is that we find that when we have those things, if we have a TB outbreak, we just respond with, hey, how many, you know, all the people that work that shift need to go through maybe a different recovery protocol. But with sensor technology, I can actually look to see, okay, who was actually in that room during that time? And so now I can apply a protocol that's specific to the concern. And so I think that in many ways, what we're finding is that, you know, I can't remember who said it. It was, it was uh, you know, someone I had researched during my, you know, when I was going through my doctoral uh, work at Georgia State, but they were sharing that the best, in, the best innovations are ones that you put in the hands of your customers and they drive and do new and different things with that technology. And we're finding that that's really what we're seeing in that sensor area is that people are taking that data and they're like, oh, wow, I can actually use this to improve patient satisfaction scores. Oh, wow, I can use this to improve my workflows. Oh, and by the way, I can also use this to reduce infections. And I think that when you have folks that understand the use of data and how to use data to improve processes, you know, how to use data to drive performance improvement, that makes that even more effective. And so I think that that's really where the role of quality professionals can certainly help when we're looking at sensor technology, Internet of Things technology. It, that those technologies are capturing that data, which drives into what you were discussing earlier around just big data, um, you know, as well. That was that was an exceptional we, – we need to talk more. That was an exceptional reply. And that, those are some of the things that personally I'm just trying to learn more about because you, you hear all these buzzwords, and now I'm, I am in the mindset of what are they and how can they make my industry better. So great explanation there. Berkeley, I'm going to move you down to the next question because it's almost – it kind of tags on to what we were just talking about. But now I'm going to direct it in terms of what does the healthcare industry need to do to become a more uh, attractive place where ambitious, talented, quality professionals can start and grow their careers. Wow. Uh, what, is the, what does the healthcare industry need to do? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's uh, – you know, I would say that – and I think that this is happening slowly but surely, but I think that as an industry – you know, we, we have to be open to new and different ideas. Um, I think that there can be a mindset of, um, you know, hey, this is what's always worked. I mean, I think that when we can look at things from a status quo perspective, and once again, I mean, I understand it because the, you know, the, the costs are so high in healthcare, right? I mean, oftentimes, you, I mean, they, the mistakes, they, they take on a different nature. And so I can understand sometimes where we're just more judicious in our and, and changing our processes. 
Um, but I think having an openness to explore new and different ideas, you know, the, the, the implementation of a pilot um, and using that pilot uh, to actually drive a small side improvement and then saying, okay, is this something that we can scale throughout the organization? I hear that a lot. I see that we are doing that. And I think that as we continue to do that, that we will attract, um, I think, more, you know, quality, uh, you know, quality professionals to the space. Okay, fair enough. So, Dr. Baker, you're doing awesome, first and foremost. Um, You're giving some really, really exceptional hints of of knowledge, wisdom, just a lot I think the listeners are going to learn from. But uh, now I am going to move you into what we call the two-minute drill. Okay. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Perfect. So, Berkeley, share with our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best day in and day out. I would say that it, it, it saves lives. I mean, by reducing infections, you know, you, you save lives and, and not just the life of the patient, but even I think you also, uh, you know, healthcare providers work extremely hard uh, to, to drive great clinical benefits for, for the patients. And when you look at a hospital-acquired infection, you know, I, I, that's something that I think that healthcare providers take very hard because they recognize that they had someone coming in for one cause or one reason and now they've actually acquired something that hurts them um, as opposed to just kind of receiving that clinical benefit. And so by reducing infections within the, uh, you know, within, within the hospitals, long-term care, long-term care facilities and others, you know, I think that one, it, 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 it saves lives, improves quality of care, but also it aligns with the heart of healthcare providers, and, and that's exciting for me. Exceptional answer there. What's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Do what you love. Um, yeah, yeah, do what you love. I mean, the things that, you know, that, that, that make you excited, the things that you enjoy doing, you know, I think oftentimes as quality professionals, we love kind of getting in the data and driving improvement. Um, I think aligning yourself with the things that you, you love to do is, is you know, it, it, makes, it, makes, it, it makes work not feel like work, right? I mean, we oftentimes apply that when we're thinking about people, you know, uh, that, are, that are in athletic careers or what have you, but I think that that scales to all of us. Um, you know, always kind of finding that piece of what we, we love to do and, and do as much of that as possible. Uh, I love it. That's, can't get any more direct than that. Do what you love. Dr. Baker, do you have a mentor that has had an exceptional impact on your career? Um, I mean, I would say that I have had people. I don't have like a currently a, I, I would say a, a mentor that I work with, but I think that for me, for a mentor, I, I would I would just I mean I would just have to go quite honestly with my dad. You know, I mean my dad is a uh retired judge, um, you know, uh lawyer and now a pastor. And um I mean he's always kept me grounded, um, but always encouraged me to reach and to and to and just to continue to press forward, to not accept status quo. So I would I would say my dad. I would say my dad. No, I, I fully respect that because I actually have a four year old son right now. So I would be honored, you know, thirty years from now if he if he were being interviewed on a podcast and yeah. said that. So or you know, thirty years from now they'll probably have like virtual reality right. podcasts or something, but all right, perfect. <laughs> they probably no. will. <laughs> all right, great answer. Um 
Can you share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality initiatives or partnering with some of the project teams and, and customers that you work with? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, once again, it starts with just clearly identifying what the task is or clearly identifying what the objective is that we're trying to reach or the change um, that we're trying to pursue. Um, I think oftentimes when we don't do that, we can find ourselves climbing up the ladder only to see it leaning against the wrong wall. Um, we've all been there where we put in a lot of time and effort and resources and we thought that we've completed, you know, the task and then we find out that that wasn't really what, you know, folks were looking for. And so I am uh, very methodic about upfront, making sure that we have a clear understanding of what good looks like before we begin. Can you share one Internet resource that helps you to be the most productive? Yeah, I was thinking through this one. And, uh, but I, you know, I, it's, it's, not as, it's not as maybe creative as some others, but I'm going to say Google. I mean, I Google everything. I mean, and it's it's a huge resource for me. So um, I know it's overly general, but I, I just, I Google everything. If I'm reading uh, a book, um, I will Google through just different things I read about the author or things that I see in the, uh, in the uh, bibliography or what have you. And so that's by far my number one internet resource. Now, you know, it's funny. I, I'm trying to decide if that's cheating or not. And I'll allow it. I, I think I will allow it because in my head I'm like, nope, I, I Google everything too. So. <laughs> I Google everything. <laughs> no, that's funny. Um, all right, so can you please share with our quality people then one professional association and one professional conference that you think would be a, a value add? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, one of the ones that I attend is I like the uh, National Association of Healthcare Service Executives. Um, and so it's a uh, it's um, it's an organization where you know basically the focus is um, you know it's a, it's a diversity organization where we kind of focus on um, uh, building strengths members from the National Association of, of Healthcare Service Executives and uh, and also looking at how different implementations into healthcare impact um, you know disparate populations. Uh, and so for me, that is just they have an annual conference, and I've attended that as well. And so that's just been one that I've just recently, um, you know, attended and that I, I thought was valuable. Can you please recommend one book to our listeners that you think would be a benefit, and why do you think it would be a benefit? Yeah, so I would definitely go with Black Box Thinking um, by uh, Matthew C uh, Side. Um, and uh, because I think one of the things that it does is it approaches – you know, quality measures from the perspective of really designing in excellence. And so I know that oftentimes in healthcare, I mean, we've had lots of conversations as it relates to um, some of the results in healthcare and comparing that to, you know, other industries like aviation or what have you. Um, and I think that that book definitely does that, but it really kind of digs deep into how we can design in excellence to our process. Uh, as opposed to having add-ons at the end of the process to try to end in excellence, how can we design excellence in from the very beginning? All right. Excellent. Excellent book recommendation. And, Dr. Baker, I, I want to commend you because you've run through the majority of the questions that I have for you, but we are now down to my personal favorite question <laughs> because – now I'm going to get you to simultaneously reflect on your past while looking forward to your future. So 
let's say you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years in the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a few seconds to think about it if you have to, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? So the message as far as, you know, going back 10 years, um, I would I would communicate to myself to uh, to enjoy the moment. Um, I think that uh, you know just going back and if I just consider you know just you know, ten years ago and just up to today, I think a lot of times we can find ourselves in moments looking forward to the next moment and losing sight of really the moment that's right there in front of us. And so uh, so for me that that's what I would I would say to my my younger self is uh, is really enjoy the moment that you're in. Um, and then, as far as the the text in the future, um, I think that I would remind myself just to always keep people first. Um, I think that you know sometimes you know it's something that I can lose sight of. You know, I think when we are Type A and we're drivers. Um, that we can find ourselves, you know, when we're quality professionals, we can be very goal and objective oriented and, you know, we can find ourselves just like, okay, this goal, this goal, this goal, and just kind of continue to push forward. Um, but I would just want to remind myself, hey, um, the reason that we're doing these things is really about the people. So, so, so stay, stay people focused. So that, those would be my two. Dr. Baker, again, first and foremost, let me thank you for your time, your experience, your knowledge, everything that you shared during our call today. Um, I, I think it's going to provide exceptional uh, value to the folks who plug into this podcast. We're right there at the end of our show, and before I let you go, I would love for you to give our quality people a parting piece of advice and definitely share the best way that they can follow or connect with you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Well, I guess my parting piece of advice would be to keep doing what you're doing. I mean, as a quality professional, I know sometimes that we can it can become discouraging. Um, I think about the story, just one that I've you know, become more recently aware of when I just think about Dr. Semmelweis and all that work that he tried to do to reduce infections and improve hand hygiene. I mean, it, 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 uh, you know, it cost him everything, and he didn't get to see really the, the value of his work. But today we know him as the, uh, you know, as the, as the father of hand hygiene. I mean, he really drove the, you know, the, the, um, the value in that industry. And I would just encourage you know, each each quality professional to keep doing what you're doing, to keep press and keep pressing. I know that oftentimes when we're in quality, it's not always easy. Um, but I would say that I think it's always valuable. And I would just encourage us all to just kind of continue um, pressing forward uh, in our endeavors in that. And then the best way to get in touch with me is uh, is LinkedIn, which is probably the number two uh, internet resource that I use. Uh, so, so LinkedIn is always a great a great way to uh, to catch up uh, to catch up with me. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I believe LinkedIn is exactly how we got connected, and then finally took some time to grab coffee. So, that's so, it. right. That's between, right. between Google and LinkedIn, I got, I've got you figured out There's, now. There so. we go. That's it. <laughs> Uh, Berkeley, uh, again, thank you so much for your time today. I um, look forward to staying connected with you and more information coming as soon as we get this show plugged in and launched for you. 
That was great. Hey, and I, I kudos to you. I mean, I think that this is uh, very enjoyable. I think it's a fun way for quality professionals just to uh, to continue to discuss relevant issues. And so I'm excited about what you're doing now and what you're going to be doing in the, the near future. So congrats. Uh, thank you very much. Well, we'll be talking again soon. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.